1: Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod. We're coming to you from the Warner Center in Woodland Hills, California. This is the home for Autism Live. It is also the home for the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. Uh, Monday, Monday, right? Lots going on and lots that we want to cover today. So I'm thrilled that you guys are here. We're going to be with you for the next hour talking about autism from a 360-degree perspective. You know, on Mondays, whenever we have the possibility, we're joined by special education attorney Bonnie Yates. She's going to be joining us in just a few minutes to answer some questions that you guys have sent in. Uh, We may even, we didn't have time last week to do a mindfulness moment, so we may even get time to do that today. I don't know anything could happen, Uh, but thrilled that you guys are here with us. We want to remind you that this show is meant to be interactive. Traven is going to show you some of the different ways that we uh, love to have you guys interact with us. And while he does that, I just want to take a second to remind you that our homepage is autism live when you go there there's a lot of things to do there Uh, i i like to say to people find first of all find the use for the website that works well for you if you just want to chat and you want to do it anonymously you can do that at the bottom of the page just click on the chat button it opens up you can be chatting with me or the experts that we have here Um, if you just want to be able to search past videos you're like you know it's three o'clock in the morning and i want to know everything i can find out about uh, you know, Pica, for instance. And so you just type in Pica and um, and see all the videos that are a good version of the videos that we have done over the years about Pica. If you are, you know, uh, saying, I, I want recipes, we have playlists that are just to deal with specific things. Like there's a playlist that's just Ask Dr. Doreen, there's a playlist that's just, Uh, our cooking segments there's a playlist that's just our segments with Dr. Temple Grandin Um, and then there's one that's highlights which are we you know we take portions of the show where it's not all the stuff with me talking like this right where we have guests so we, we cut those out in highlights so that you don't have to watch everything uh, but when you want just to be here with me come on down to the full show and and, and we can uh, chat away right um, so please utilize the website in the way that works for you by the way when you're on the website even for just a few seconds the little pop up comes up I know for years I resisted it and didn't do it and people were like why don't you have that thing I can't find the subscription button and I was like oh, okay so so the thing pops up and it says, would you like to subscribe? And if you don't want to, you just have to click the X and it goes away. I apologize, but there were people who were asking for it. And the reason why they were asking for it is when you do subscribe to us, we don't spam you and we don't sell our list to other people. We just don't do that. Uh, what we do is that we send you a postcard at the beginning of the week that says, here's who's going to be on the show this week. And in the rare circumstances where we have somebody that's extra you know, super fabulous that we think you're going to lose your mind over. And we didn't know on Monday, because look, when Temple joins us, it's always like same day notice. So we shoot out a thing and say, hey, we're going live with Temple Grandin. You know, does anybody have a question that they want to ask? So that's a reason to subscribe. So there we go for that. Uh, All right. So all of that in mind, uh, we I do want to say, because I like to, whenever I have the opportunity, say that we do have a lot of experts that are on the show. I'm not one of them. I am a mom of an individual who was diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half. I myself do not have a diagnosis, and I like to specify that I am someone who cares about an individual on the autism spectrum. And that on this show, we welcome the larger autism community. We welcome... Uh, of course, individuals who are on the autism spectrum, right? Of course. But we also welcome everybody who loves a person who's on the autism spectrum, whether you're a parent, a teacher, a caregiver. um, If you care about people on the spectrum, we want to meet here to be able to share information and inspiration because we want to help those individuals to be able to get resources to help them to do the things that are important to them. I just like to specify that because, you know, there are some uh, folks that are on the autism spectrum that just automatically say that they don't like Autism Live. And, and it's always the same reason. I just had this uh, conversation with somebody online. They were like, well, I don't like this group and I don't like Autism Live and I don't like Autism Live because it's, you know, they don't have people that are on the spectrum, which is, I have to say, you know, only partially true. I'm, the host and I'm not on the autism spectrum, but we have guests that are on the spectrum all the time. And in fact, I don't. I think I, there's only been one instance where um, somebody wrote to us and said, "I'm on the spectrum. I would like to be on the show." We initially said yes, and then uh, we had to say no because then they did a big thing online and said, "Hey, I'm going to be on Autism Live," and they went on to say things that were hate speech. Uh, I mean, like really bad hate speech. Um, and we said we can't. We can't do that. You know. Um, in nine years that's the only time that we have said to somebody who's on the spectrum no we don't have time for you um and 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 in fact with him we said we don't have time for you if you're going to speak this way and he further let us know that he was going to speak that way and then we said well we're not we're you know we're not uh we're not doing that right so uh, we try to make ourselves available here to of course have people on the spectrum to give them a showcase we've had you know uh, people who were regulars, and then were so busy in their life. Um, but you know, we. Uh, of course, we welcome people who are on the autism spectrum, but we also welcome all the people who are, are, are caring about those people and want to work with them as well because uh, we've, we have a role to play in this community. Um, so that's where, that's where we're coming from. Okay, so uh, we do like to start uh, our Monday show with something we fondly refer to as the Jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out what are those experts talking about? We started last week by jumping into the verbal operants. I know, everybody goes What <laughs> What are the verbal what? Um, okay, but a lot of you have been writing in lately saying, how do I encourage language in my child who's on the autism spectrum? And knowing what the verbal operants are is key to building that language. So on Thursday, our term was manned. And I promised that today it would be tact. I know you're all weighted with baiting breath to know what tact is. This is one of those terms. By the way, what we do here is we give you the, the term. Uh, we give you the actual definition, I then poke fun of it, um, because that's really all it's useful for. And then we give you a working definition, which we hope will help you to begin to understand why this term is important, right? Uh, That's what we do here. Um, Because we want to begin to understand these terms, it saves you time, money, and energy when you understand them. So. a lot of times these terms sometimes they're difficult because we we did manned on Thursday and I'd never heard of that before ever and I was like what does that mean? Um, but tact we all know what tact is right we you know we try to be tactful when we're telling somebody uh, you know I don't I don't like what you're doing right we try not to be rude we want to have tact right although that's not what this tact means this is one of those crazy words that means something entirely different than how we are used to using it so let's go ahead and show you that in the world of of autism and ABA and learning language, uh, tact means something different. Go ahead, Trayvon. So tact is a verbal operant evoked by nonverbal discriminative stimulus. I can't even say it. Discriminative stimulus and followed by generalized condition reinforcement. All right. (laughs) Like, I'm sorry, but that is entirely useless. Like, Like, you could say that to me 38,000 times, and I would still be like, uh huh. What? Uh, have no idea whatsoever. Anytime the word, I mean, it's such a little word tact. I think I know what it means, right? And you start with verbal operant and there we go. We're off to the races. Okay, so let's take a look at our working definition and see if we can work backwards and figure out what this puppy is. So tacting is spontaneously labeling or commenting about things that the child or individual comes into contact with for the purpose of communication. All right, still don't know what it is, but at least I understand what those words mean. Okay, so on this continuum of all the different ways that we verbally uh, communicate, um, and remember that verbal doesn't necessarily mean vocal right? Because pointing is considered verbally communicating. All right. So um, we talked about manding. Manding is being able to request something, you know, uh, saying kuh when I want a cookie, right? Or pointing to a picture of a cookie because I want the cookie, right? Tacting is this next part. Once I know labels of things, tacting is this phenomenon when somebody is someplace and we notice something and we go, oh, Look, it's a balloon and I'm not just talking to myself. I'm labeling the balloon, but I'm doing it for the purpose of communicating to this person over here, there's a balloon over there. I saw it, I labeled it, and I labeled it as part of communication. It is this phenomenon that we all participate in. um, That, you know, I might be at a zoo with a child and I go, giraffe, right? Look, there's a giraffe. I'm tacting right now, and it's almost like one of the things that they taught me is that that there's the sense of tactile, right, when you touch things, and it's like you're pointing it out almost like, you know, look at what I'm touching to another person, but it's not just... It's not a solitary event, tacting. Um, And I think that that's part of the misunderstanding that parents have about this a lot, is that we're always trying to create this triangle of attention uh, when a child is little and beginning language, where we want to be able to notice something, it's called joint attention. So I look at something and I go, "Oh, dog. And then I look at the child and and the child looks at me and then looks at the dog. And now we have this triangle going. And in this triangle, there's a lot that's happening. Because the child, if they're tuned into faces, which they're not always with autism, but the child is learning from me about whether whatever this thing is, is good or bad. Because if I go, dog, right? I'm teaching this child that dogs are something to be feared, right? Or if I go doggy, then I'm teaching the child that doggies are something to be excited about right so there's a lot of social communication that's happening here but it's also like it's the beginning of a conversation is really what it is if you think about it because you know for all of you who write in and go I don't know how to start conversation uh, my child knows labels but they don't know how to get to conversation and it's like this mystical thing how do you get to conversation well the next stop along the way is tacting and so You know, first we wanna teach them labels and how to request things using the label, and then we wanna teach them to participate in this three-way thing. So this is a really difficult thing to teach if you think about it. Um, and I, I'm gonna make it worse for you because they have something called pure tax and impure tax. And so basically the way you teach this is through impure tax. You begin by prompting the child and saying, you know, hey, do you notice something up there? Do you notice what the thing is up there? What is that, you know, and and you know, tell mom about that thing. So maybe they go, oh, it's a balloon. And and they just say, balloon, right? And we prompt them to do that. Well, that's impure. It's only really attacked if they notice it, comment on it, and do it for the purpose of communication. But you can't teach it until you get somebody into the practice of it and they get a reward for it, which is that now I have this exchange going and we get to appreciate this thing together. And I'll tell you, when they're teaching this kind of thing to your child, and lessons to teach tacting are available in skills, skillsforautism.com. But I remember when they were teaching this to my child and it was crazy town, right? Because they would pick a couple of different things that he knew and that he found really reinforcing, right? Because For instance, let's say, you know, you're going to pick clowns, right? And uh, the kid doesn't like clowns. They're terrified of them. You've chosen wrong, right? Because you want to pick something they really love, and then you want to put it into the environment uh, where it wouldn't normally be so that they have a reason to comment on it. So my kid loved helium balloons, and so we had helium balloons outside of our condo. And, you know, one of us would have to sneak a helium balloon into the room that they were doing therapy, and the other one would be there with, with the therapist and my son. And at a certain point, they would, they would you know, tr- drop all these little hints, hoping that he would notice the balloon, and then they would prompt him for the balloon. But eventually, we got it to the point, and, and then once you've done it once, then you got to move on to something else, right, to have them notice. This thing and comment on it because you're setting, you're contriving to set up the circumstance to make it happen. But let me just tell you, it's worth it. If you leave out the tact part, you just don't get to the successful things that are down the road when you're really getting to the conversation. It's one of those little puzzle pieces, you guys, that needs to be taught. And when we teach manding and then tacting and then teach the other verbal operants, we see that people are able to communicate. And again, I wanna remind everybody that is not necessarily vocal communication, but is verbal communication. So, tacting. It's a really exciting thing when your kiddo gets it and you have to work hard with a team of people because you can't just do it with one person. It takes a lot. It takes a village, to, but you can teach tacting. You can. Uh, you start with the impure tact and you work your way to a pure tact. But the first time your kid does a pure tact, let me tell you, it's like you know, this in your house, uh, and your friends don't understand. They're like, what are you so excited about? My kid did a pure tact. Uh, I'm so excited. And they're like, I, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. That's what we're talking about. Building block, getting to conversation. It works. Okay, moving on. We always have a question of the day for you. Uh, and our question today kind of goes along with, you know, our, our, our word, uh, what wows you? Cause when we're teaching tax in the beginning, we wanna start with things that wow the kid. So what wows you? what turns your head what gets you excited what gets you super super wow um i gotta be honest for me definitely front line of defense fireworks i am a firework junkie i love fireworks i lose my mind i get excited i scream i yell i embarrass myself it's just a fact uh my husband and my son alternate between like there's a certain point where they're like I want to stand just a little bit away from you so that I'm not uh, assigned this you know, thing that you do. Uh, I'm no part of it. But then they also find it hilariously funny that I lose my mind. My family over the years, I, I have people who just want to go with me because I'm embarrassing when I'm at fireworks, but fireworks are the best. I love, love, love fireworks. Um, but there's other things that wow me too. Um, there's things like when kids are making progress, Shut the front door. I just, like, get excited about that. Um, I absolutely, when I meet a parent who's like, I you know, I, I want to know, what do I have to do? And 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 you tell them and they're like okay and then they go and do that that wows me that wows me because when you when a parent says i want to know what to do and you tell them it's a lot and not everybody can do it right but when a parent is like i'm on board i'm going to find the way um it's that pack packing the tartar sauce thing that i talk about you know the life's little instruction book when you're going after moby dick pack the tartar sauce and i find that parents who go, all right, now I'm going, I'm getting the tartar sauce. We're going to do this. Uh, whatever it takes, we're going to do it. Man, that wows me. Not everybody can do that, right? But that for sure wows me. Um, and I get excited when I meet people who um, work in this field and don't have a kiddo on the spectrum, but they get so excited about helping kids on the spectrum. I mean, I just don't even know. Like that just humbles me. Because I, I, I'm just being honest, I would not have chosen, uh, you know, I had plenty of opportunity before I had a child with autism to come into the autism community and be a mover and a shaker. One of my best friends from college, her son was diagnosed, and I remember talking with her and going, my gosh, like, it sounds like you're really going through it. But, you know, I was one of those people. I, where was I? I wasn't at the autism walk then. I only came to this community when the world said you will go to this community, right? And then I, and then I came in, you know, and I went, oh, okay, my, my bad. I, you know, I need to be here. Um, but for people who just come in on their own volition, uh, God bless them, right? That wows me. But what wows you? Would you please write in right now on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, and tell us what wows you? We'd love to know. Um, and by the way, we need to know what wows the, the individual that we love on the spectrum. Cause that's the thing that we wanna we wanna use. We wanna like get that out and, and have that be the reward for when when they have been able to do something like we want to be able to give them the thing that wows them not to excess right because if what you love is chocolate ice cream and we give you chocolate ice cream eventually it's not going to wow you fireworks are great because they don't happen every day unless you live at disneyland i'd like to live at disneyland um but i don't There we go. Anyway, moving on. I digress. Uh, let's go on. Uh, we always have a topic of the week, and our topic this week—you're going to love this—and um, I love, I love this topic: creative visualization. So, uh, if you've never done this, there's a great book um, by Shakti Gawan. Don't ask me to spell it. Uh, but if you go into a bookstore, uh, or if you just put in "creative visualization" into Amazon, I'm sure it comes up. Um, but Shakti Gawan wrote like the definitive book about creative visualization i i don't know like back in the maybe the 70s 80s and it still is widely used it's a little book you can stick it in your purse take it with you everywhere it's a great great book i tell you life-changing book and it's all about being able to visualize circumstances to help prepare yourself now since Shotky Gawan, and I don't even know if Shotky, male, female, I don't know, but um, since Shotky Gowan wrote creative visualization, there have been lots of studies on creative visualization and about, you know, what works and how does it work. I, I've talked before about this study that uh, is like the, the Superman pose study. Uh, you probably, if you watch Grey's Anatomy, you've seen this where people, they they stand with their arms, you know, um, on their on their waist and they sort of push their chest out like Superman would stand right and picturing the cape flowing behind you and if you stand like this for two minutes visualizing the tough thing that you're about to do for the day they've scientifically proven your outcome will be better than if you don't. And there's four poses that are like this. Uh, there's one that uh, where you stand like in a Y, like you're you know accepting adulation from a crowd. Um, there's there's one where you put your uh, hands behind your head and put your feet up on your desk. I've tipped my office chair over doing that one and hurt myself. Don't do that one. Um, I like the Superman one because you can do it in the elevator. You can do it almost anywhere. You can do it in a parking lot. I mean, I can do it sitting here at the desk. It's better if you're standing, but you can do it anywhere. But the but But I think part of it is is the physical manifestation of it, but you're also doing the creative visualization. So surgeons do this before difficult surgeries. They stand in the operating room and they do the pose and they visualize what the surgery is going to be and how it's going to go. And they have proven that the surgeries go better when the surgeons do that. So if you're having surgery, ask your surgeon to do it, right? It can't hurt. Um, But we can do this too. We have the ability to do this. Um, and, And there's been some studies that have shown that even when you don't do the pose, it's really, really helpful for reducing stress. If you're going into a stressful situation and you visualize what it's going to be like. Um, and ShotKi has exercises throughout the book to help you to do meditative exercises and how to visualize what it is that you want. There's a whole slew of um, motivational speakers now who talk about this. It's that whole thing about if you want to change your circumstances, you have to change your mind. And so if you picture what it is that you want and you picture often enough that you will move towards whatever that is. I don't know what the science exactly on it is. There's lots of theories about um, that you start to notice more things and so you make different choices. I don't know, but what I do know is that every morning we wake up and we have a choice. Um, we can look at all of the negative things in the world or we can look at all the positive things in the world. We all get this choice every single morning. And that if you are um, asked to look at the positive things, you will see more positive things. And if you are asked to look at the negative things, you will recognize more negative things you just will and your experience of the day will become more negative or more positive like that we've we've you know they've been endless studies that have shown that to be true but you don't have to even look them up try it for a day try it for a day try for just a moment you can do it right now or you could do it the first thing in the morning or you could do it at your next break but you try for just a moment to close your eyes and visualize something of where you would like to be Um, I gotta be honest with you that Many years ago, when we were in the thick of our autism intervention, the thick of it, and money was oof, nowhere to be found, and we were in kind of dire circumstances. Um, my husband and I—we, uh, I've talked about this before on the show. We started doing a money mantra, where we had one phrase each of us that we would say, and it's a very private thing—the thing that you say—and um, but you find the thing that actually helps you reduce your stress. Uh, that you know, it's not like, there, people were telling me, oh, this is the phrase that you need to use, and I would use that phrase, and I, it would make me anxious, right? You have to find the phrase that's right for you. And we decided to put actions with that because we were being told that we needed a stretch. We both had back problems. So we had a set of stretches that the doctor gave, and so we set aside uh, just three minutes uh, every night that we would do our what we call the money mantra thing while we were doing our stretches. And not only were our backs better, but we noticed that our stress about money got better and that, you know, the money situation got a little bit better. It didn't get wildly better. We didn't win the lottery. Um, but you know, uh, the way we looked at money got a little bit better and, you know, and some things happened and it was like, Hey, I like this and I feel better in my body. So then we added on to it. I said, Oh, you know, the shock go on thing. And she did a, 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 follow-up book that was about creative visualization and prosperity. So, if you want that, you can go get that too. But so we would do the so we would do the 3 minutes of stretches and then we would spend 3 minutes where we would sit on the floor and hold hands and just close our eyes and visualize things in the future. And I have to be honest with you that we just were talking about this the other day that like then our life changed and some of those things started to happen and we stopped doing it. Because that's our MO. We stopped doing it. But he and I were sitting there the other day, and I was like, you know, a lot of those things that we visualized, a lot of those things have come to fruition. Uh, They really, really have. It's kind of crazy. And and we didn't even continue it. So I'm telling you... uh, it's, it's a wonderful toy to play with because it's absolutely free. Um, I mean, I, I imagine that the, the book on creative visualization will cost you a couple of bucks. Uh, but you might even be able to find it online, I don't know, or at a used bookstore, I don't know. But I'm telling you, taking a couple of minutes every day, and you don't even have to do the book. You could just sit with yourself, by yourself, or with a significant other. And what we would do is that we would just close our eyes and, you know be like, where, where would I like to be in five, 10 years and visualize like these perfect idyllic circumstances. And then we, you know, three minutes and the timer would go off. Cause we really didn't have more time than that. And then we would open our eyes and take a minute to talk about what we saw. And I have to say, I think it was good for our relationship too. So, why am I not doing it now? That's a very good question. Uh, Physician, heal thyself, right? Um, So, but I'm giving it like it is, I think, what got us through the hardest part of autism intervention was being able to picture. I have said this before, and I will continue to say this that whenever things got the hardest, what I would visualize was my son in a cap and gown graduating, and being able to look at him and say, hey, we did everything that we could, and him saying to me, I know, and mom, I'm off to change the world. And I just wanted to, I i want—I wanted that whole thing. I wanted him to be in the cap and gown. I, I wanted to be able to say and know in my gut that we had done everything that we could, and, and I wanted for him to be like, I'm off to change the world. And look, you guys, I am like a year and two months away from that Um, and it and it's not about this thing about the secret the secret the secret and visualizing something and it appears no but that motivated me thinking that that's what i want motivated me to be able to do things on days when i couldn't and that's really what the secret is right but i do think the creative visualization helps okay so uh moving on uh enough of that i've waxed poetic about that we have an amazing guest uh bonnie yates who's been waiting forever to talk with us and is probably about done with me uh we're gonna be with her right after these messages stick with us Welcome back, you guys. We have the fabulous Bonnie Yates joining us. And Bonnie is on location. Uh, we're yeah. going to ask her to tell us why she's on location. Uh, I'm on location. Well, first of all, here's my
0: disclaimer. God, I look so old. I can't believe it. Um, I think you look edgy. I have a baby cold. I got the baby's cold. So that's my excuse for sticking my wax knitted cap on my head and not wearing any makeup but i'm in baltimore now at the Coba conference which is really exciting um and one of the things they've been doing today is an all-day conference on reading fluency which is one of those subjects that fits well taught is amazing yeah. So we're not going to talk
1: about that today,
0: but we'll, maybe we'll talk about reading fluency some other time. So
1: what else am I supposed to tell you? Uh, well, I didn't even uh, do the full thing about the fact that you're a special education attorney and that you are affiliated with the Tolner Law Firm, and let's talk a little bit about them. Well, let's see. The Tolner Law Firm is an eight-attorney firm
0: based in San Jose, California, but now we've opened offices in El Segundo and Irvine, and if you're in California and you want to talk to an attorney, we'll happily... Uh, talk with you about your problem. If you're in another state and you're listening to the show, just know that if you have a specific legal problem, you know, we try to answer questions generally on the show, but it's not a substitute for consultation with an attorney. So we suggest you do that. And that's why we talk about COPA on the air, because COPA, C-O-P-A-A dot net, has an attorney directory for the 50 states. Wonderful. So... um,
1: Um. And, uh, and and so you're joining us from, you know, location because you're at the COPA convention. And so that's why we just want people to realize that we are picking up some of your background noise and we're just dealing with it because she's in a place and that's what it is. And uh, But I, I just don't want people to think that there's a loop open somewhere. It, we're just picking up some background noise. Um, but Bonnie um, has a disclaimer that she wants to give to you uh, because it's she's... A you did it's the a... disclaimer. Okay, we're good. We're good. We're, good, we're good, we're good. Okay. So um, we had some questions for Bonnie. Uh, somebody said, I keep hearing people say I shouldn't sign the IEP at the meeting. If I agree with what is said, is it okay to sign? Well, I guess the general answer is, why wouldn't you give
0: yourself the benefit of 24 or 48 hours after the meeting is over? to review the document and make sure that it really says what you think it says, and get any kind of feedback that you might want to get from another parent or a professional. I mean, the reason we say don't sign it at the time of the meeting is for a lot of reasons. One is, excuse me, the experience can be quite emotional, and um, that tends to affect uh, objective judgment. Um, I find also just depending on like when the meeting is scheduled, your blood sugar might be low. Um, and I find as a professional going to these meetings that I like to think about what happened for a while and, and see if I really get it. And you know, it's interesting because I'm doing a, a due process right now for a client and listening to the recording of the IEP meeting, I very much have this feeling like, wow with time and distance, I have kind of a different take on what happened at this meeting than I did when I was there in real time. So, you know, yes, you can sign it if you agree with it, but unless it's a very simple issue, um, you really know that you agree. Um, or do you need to get some more input? So I guess that's my feeling
1: about the whole thing. Well, I, my question is that I've seen this at the IPs that I've been at. Is that you know you're sitting there and you're having a discussion and someone is sitting there typing the whole time, and and now they're mostly typing into these preform things, but they're typing away, and that you know, and when everything is done, they print it all out and you're supposed to sign it. Um but as you said, you know, you, you can read through it, but I don't know a single person who has whether they signed or didn't sign that hasn't walked out and said, "Oh, you know what we forgot to put in there?" Or or I don't like the way they characterize this. I didn't say this, I said that. Right? Exactly. Um You know, you're really, when you sign that piece of paper, it's not just you saying yes to everything that was verbally said, it's you saying, and I trust the person who typed all of it in, that they got it exactly how I meant it and how they meant it, and that they made no errors. That's just crazy to me. I mean, if it's a one-page document that's an amendment to add to
0: accommodations, that's fine. Otherwise, take the time, review the document. What's the rush?
1: Yeah. Yeah, honestly, honestly. So um, there you go, there's your answer to that. I mean, of course you can, but why would you? Okay, so we had this question before and I don't know if you're updated on it now, but people wanted to know what your take was on what was happening, the lawsuit in New York that's gone through many machinations since then, the parents who were suing to get ABA in the classroom. Are you updated on that, Bonnie, to talk about it? A
0: little bit, I talked to my friend Barbara Ebenstein, who's a New York attorney, and I looked at the, the information about it. Um, and what I see is that New York has a gap in services sometimes between three to five, where they lose their ABA funding, and they can't take it from um, pre-preschool into preschool, I guess, is the issue. So, um, you know, my answer to that is whatever it takes to get early, you know, early intervention, Um, I'm generally in favor of, although I think it would be better if, you know, It was very hard in California when um, parents had to fight the school district every single time there was a three-year-old who needed three to five services. So I I like the way we're doing it in California better where I don't think people are having to fight now to keep their three to five services for APA And, and, and they can take them into a private preschool. But, you know, I don't really understand why, in general, in the United States, we don't have ABA in classrooms, and I'm not just talking about for preschool. Like, why don't we have it you know, in public school in the elementary years when people clearly need it? Um, I mean, I know the reason is cost, but there's clearly a need, and I'm certainly seeing a lot of kids in public school who have a one-to-one aid that basically makes the kid prompt-dependent, and they don't know how to teach the skills that you need, if you, you know, have somebody that has an autism profile, and, and then the person is going to develop emotional problems as they get older because they're not successful in school to the degree that they want to be or could have been, and so they're going to develop, you know, significant anxiety, so I just think we're doing it wrong, 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 and I'm getting tired of it all, but, um, you know, that's me.
1: So, well, I think we're all yeah. there. Anybody who's been in this for a while, Bonnie, we're all tired um, and not understanding yeah. why there hasn't been a shift. But it, this you feeds... Know, r- yeah, a, a quote from Doreen Grandpache about 25 years ago. She said, hey, Bonnie,
0: it's not that we don't know what it takes <clears throat> excuse me to remediate people
1: from autism. We know what it takes. That's not the issue. And that quote is, is as true today as it was then. Yeah absolutely and this sort of feeds into the next question actually because the next question is how do you argue that a school aid is not appropriate and a card aid is card being the center for autism and related disorders which Mm -hmm. was founded by dorian grant and and so how how, you know because people ask me this all the time well the school's willing to give me a school aid but we want a card aid and my son had a card aid for a while and then we transitioned to a school aid how do you make the argument that you need the card aid well, it's not that easy, um,
0: because they don't have to give you card. You know, they could, what they have to give you is a skilled, train, behaviorally trained um, interventionist, OK? So what I do sometimes is I start with, um, in California, we have something called the California Public Records um, Statute. And I make a public records request for the aid training. And um, I've actually got one now um, from Irvine Unified that I might be able to share with you guys. Um, and it talks about how they train them. And you basically have to take that to the meeting and pick it apart and show that it's just not adequate training. And you know, I think like the information we get is general, and then you have to ask really specific questions. Like, OK, they have 70 hours of, of training, what do you mean by district training is it online is it um, in vivo is it something that they just have to read are there quizzes uh, to demonstrate mastery do they have um, periodic um, you know updates in their training and you basically need I think to argue that if you don't have a person that has the skill level of an autism behaviorist, you know, uh, an RBT, um, that all you're going to be able to do is essentially provide academic support. You're not going to know how to teach social schools. You're not going to know how to teach executive functioning planning and organization, um, and so on. And that so the, um, the person will not allow the student to make... Um, appropriately ambitious annual progress in all his or her areas of need as a result of the disability of autism, but you've got to start with getting the aid training and picking that apart. And so I think if people want to know how that's done, I'll send Shannon like a sample letter that we sent asking for the aid curriculum and showing you what we got back and then we can have a discussion about what, what we got back and what that means. Okay. Be about that like next week on the show.
1: Okay. All right, Um, and then uh, the other question that I have here is, how do you get the school, this is a topic that you've covered before, but they're asking again, how do you get the school to pay for the educational assessment by someone other than them? Because the school will say, oh, we'll assess your child. But to get an outside person to do it, how do you get the school to pay for that? Because parents always think that we have to pay for it. Right. No, so here's the thing, any assessment that's less than two years old that
0: the district has done, you can dispute. And if you can show that their evaluation wasn't appropriate, they have a choice. They either have to file for due process and defend their assessment on the grounds that it's um, appropriate, and so they'd actually have to be doing their own due process hearing, which they don't really want to do because it's costly and it's interruptive and time-consuming, or they, they will agree to pay for an evaluation at district expense. And sometimes they come back, and what they try to do its very sneaky. They say, okay, we'll we'll do another evaluation by somebody different. The answer is no, you know, that's not what we want. We want an assessment um, that we're entitled to under the law because yours was inappropriate. And they give you, you know, so if they grant those things, they give you a list. First of all, I guess the question would be, well, how do I as a parent know how to dispute their evaluation. Well, that's tricky unless you have somebody that can help you dispute it. The law says you don't have to provide reasons, but you're much more likely to be able to get the district to agree if you give reasons. And so, we, a lot of the time, like we'll reach out to like the speech therapist we work with or the psychologist we work with, and they'll help us pick apart the district assessments, and of course we've learned some basic tricks about what to look for, so we use those too. One thing that's really interesting is if the district doesn't think the parent is represented by an attorney, a lot of the time the district will actually, if the parent writes them a letter and asks for the outside assessment, they will agree to it because they would rather pay for the assessment than sort of get involved in fighting with the parent about the appropriateness of their assessment, having to file for due process. So we actually get, you know, I'd say we get like at least 75 and maybe even more percent of the requests we make for outside evaluations paid for at district expense. We actually get the district to agree. So if you can put some, you know, if you can put some reasons to paper about why you think their evaluation was inappropriate, get them to pay for an outside evaluation.
1: Okay. All right. So let me ask you this. It's IEP season, Bonnie. What are the three things that you wish parents knew that if they could, like, do, that it would make this easier for them and easier for you as a lawyer to represent them?
0: Um, ALWAYS, ALWAYS RECORD THE IEP MEETING. YOU HAVE TO GIVE THE DISTRICT um, AT LEAST 24 HOURS WRITTEN NOTICE THAT YOU INTEND TO dispute THE IEP, SO THAT'S REALLY IMPORTANT SO THAT um, an, AN ATTORNEY CAN HELP YOU LATER WITH THE DOCUMENT. UNDERSTAND YOUR RIGHT TO PARENTAL PARTICIPATION. THE MEETING IS SUPPOSED TO BE HELD AT A TIME AND PLACE CONVENIENT TO YOU, AND THE TEAM IS SUPPOSED TO MAKE YOU Um, informed about important information about your child so that you can be an equal participant in the meeting. So if you bring up things and they say, we can't discuss that now, we'll get you information outside of the meeting, such as what are the AIDS qualifications, you can say, no, I need that information now because I want to ask the IEP team questions based on the information I get. So don't forget, to let them know that you know that you're supposed to be able to participate in this meeting. Also remember that you have the right to ask them for prior written notice, which means if they propose or refuse to do something, they have to give you a written document uh, which sets forth the reasons and the documents they relied on, so that can be important after the fact. Another thing is you have a right to correct the IEP document and prepare a detailed IEP response, which isn't just a, you know, check the yes box or check the no box, and you can ask that to be attached to the IEP. And finally, I've been wanting to talk about statehood on the show, and we just haven't had time, Yeah. But remember, whatever is written in your child's IEP, if the district tries to take that away and you disagree, there's a process whereby you can prevent that from happening. So I'd say those are the the four things that come to
1: mind. Okay. Um, And then uh, we have a couple of minutes now because we got through a lot. I I was wondering if you would take a minute and uh, retell people again what COPA is, why it's important for you to be there at their conference every year, and how they can connect to COPA themselves. um,
0: Well, I could do that, or they could just go online and look up the copaa.net conference and see, like, all the choices in terms of, I just need five minutes, okay. I'll be right out, um, they can see everything that's, that, that is being done today, they're doing a big literacy training, but can I spend a minute talking about staplets since it is ID Yes, season?
1: yes, absolutely.
0: Okay, so the, the way the law works, there's a protection in the IDEA so that if a, if a if a parent and a district disagree about the continuity of the service, if the parent invokes staple it and says they don't agree, the district is supposed to leave the service in place and continue to provide it um, until such time as the parties either agree to some other modification or there's a hearing to determine whether or not the service is still necessary. So some districts will allow you to invoke Stay Put just by saying at the IT meeting, I don't agree, I don't think that should be taken away, um, and um, not permitting the change. In other cases, you will actually have to file for due process, but you won't know unless you try them. So try to just invoke Stay Put. It's supposed to happen automatically. The thing about Stay Put that's great, though, is if the district won't observe your Stay Put, um, and you file for due process, you have stay put not only for that um, round of the administrative dispute, but you have it for all appeals until the appeal process is exhausted. So if you have something written into your IEP, practically speaking, the district's not going to be able to take that away for at least two to three years. So we just want to let you know that you do have that very sacred right, because um people lose their services all the time because they don't know better and they just agree to it.
1: Wow. And, and about a stay put. really important thing for us to know about Stay Put. I, I see that they're sort of kicking you out of your space there. Uh, <laughs> they are keep, next week we can do the, um, we'll do the public records
0: request for aid credentials.
1: All right. All right. We will do that. But, Bonnie, thank you so much for taking the time, even while you're at a conference, to join us. We appreciate you more than you know. My pleasure. Uh, and do you want to tell them one more time uh, where to find Tolner? Sorry about the no makeup and long braid. I, you look fabulous offices. and I love your earrings. <laughs>
0: Thank you. Tolner <laughs> Law Offices were in El Segundo, Irvine, and San Jose. You can Google us up and find us. And as I said, if you're in Northern or Southern California and you want a uh, consultation with the office, give us a call or an email or
1: a shout out. Thanks, Shannon. Thank you so much. Bye, Bonnie. Appreciate Have it. a good time. Bye. Uh, so you. that was Special Education Attorney Bonnie Yates, uh, a wonderful, wonderful resource here on our show. We appreciate her donating her time to be with us. Hey, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back to close out the show and talk about what this week looks like, so stick with us. Welcome back. So uh, we we didn't have an opportunity on Thursday to talk about our mindfulness moment and, and our topic this week is creative visualization. So we've got just a couple of minutes here at the end of the show. So let's talk a little bit about creative visualization because sometimes this is hard for people um, that they go, I you know, I'm just not a visual person. I find it really hard to picture anything. Um, and remember, everybody has this a little bit different, but the main things are whenever you're going to do a mindfulness exercise, exercise or create a visualization exercise is to first set up the circumstances to make it possible for you to get into a space that's restorative. So that means, um, you know, you can almost do it anywhere, but obviously... Uh, you want to take certain things into consideration, whatever your environment is. If you can be sitting down or laying down, it just takes some of the the stress off of your body. But the truth of the matter is is that you can be standing as long as it's someplace that it's safe for you to be standing and and to sort of let go of your awareness of the the surroundings around you, right? Um, So that if you're standing on a very busy um, subway uh, platform and you're trying to do this, you want to make sure that you're in a space that, you know, you're, you're not gonna get pushed, right? Because um, you, you're gonna make yourself a little less aware of everything around you at one point. You're gonna start by being hyper aware of what's around you and then you're gonna let that slip away to allow your brain that moment of like imagination like you were when you were a child, okay? So ideally, it would be that you're sitting in a space and that you have the ability to close your eyes. So this is not what you do when you're driving, right? Uh, when you're driving, you do a different type of, of visualization, right? But uh, ideally, you'd be in a place where you could shut your eyes. So you're sitting there, and it, you know, maybe it's your office chair. Maybe it's your parked car. That's a great place to do this because you have the opportunity to you know, rest yourself in your seat. Now that does not mean the, you know, this. Um, you wanna be in a place where you can breathe um, so that maybe, you know, you're sitting up a little bit more but then in the comfortable spot, right? There's a comfortable, like right now my back is not touching the back of the chair. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sitting forward but it's not effortful, right? Um, I'm not having to engage my core to in order to sit up. I can put my hands flat on the table. Having contact with a surface is really important because it grounds you my feet are flat on the floor um, and sometimes you know if you have the opportunity to slip your shoes off and put your bare feet flat on a floor that's a really good thing you can't always like right now I'm not going to take my shoes off I'm here in the studio I've got my feet flat on the floor hands flat on the desk they could be on on my chair they could be on my thighs they could be anywhere on my knees right but that I'm spreading them out so that I have maximum content, right? Context, right? That, I, that I'm touching, um, not like this, you know? Um, so, cause I really wanna feel the space that's around me. And in the first few minutes of any kind of centering exercise, you want to notice the space in which you're in. So you would close your eyes and you can do this with me right now. And we always start with three deep breaths, right? You do the inhale and the exhale in your own time. And then do it, you know, in your own time, take another deep inhale and exhale, and then one more inhale and exhale. And just take a moment to check in with yourself. You can do a full body scan and like start with your toes and and think, okay, oh, you know, how much tension am I holding in my toes right now? And anytime that you see that there's a place in your body as you're scanning it, that there's tension, you just inhale and visualize relaxing that, right? You work up, and by the way, you could start at the top of your head if you prefer, but I'm starting at the toes. And you work up and you notice, hey, am I holding any tension in my ankles, in my calves? You breathe in, let it out. Am I holding any tension in my knees? You're slowly working your way up the body and letting tension go as you go, right? Um, you're gonna find each one of us finds that there's pockets of tension. It's like, oh, look, look at that. I'm holding some tension uh, in in my stomach. What am I? What am I holding some tension? Oh, breathe in, let it out, right? And your brain will talk to you while you're doing this, and you just stay on focus with with like you just it's uh, way it was described to me. It's like cars going by. You let the thought go by. You don't have to stop and interact with it. Um, you just move on to the next thing. Okay, so you know how how what's my Upper chest, am I holding a lot of tension? And you inhale and release, and you go down your arms. Are you holding? We all hold tension in different places. Some people hold it in their fingertips, some people hold it in their eyebrows. When you find it, you just breathe in and try to release as much of it as you can. No commentary about, oh, I'm not doing it right. You're doing it perfectly, right? Do your neck, you know, are you holding tension in your neck? What about your jaw? Are you holding tension in your jaw? Uh, Try to relax your jaw, relax your face. It's like your face as It's like somebody puts water on your face and everything just slides off of your face Think about the top of your head relax the top of your head and you're noticing while you're doing this how your body feels But also notice in the space that you're in what are the noises that you can hear? Where's the light coming from? Is there air moving? You know, we're really taking in the space. And once we're comfortable in the space, and by now, you know, your breathing should be centered and, and in a good rhythm that's not hurried, right? And now you can allow your mind to imagine. And you can picture anything you want. You can picture the person who's the most important to you in your life. And you can picture them being healthy. You can picture them. And and it's okay if on your TV screen that is your visualization that it's white um, and that you can't actually see a picture if you think in words or however you think. But imagine that, y- you know, you're healthy or they're healthy. Um, you know, really visualize, you know, if it's, if it's that you want to be wealthy and you visualize yourself winning the lottery, visualize yourself in the home that you want to be in and take some time in this space. If you're doing this with us, I want you to stay here. We're going to sign off, but I want you to stay in this space and take a couple of minutes to picture if, if things were the way you wanted them to be, what would it look like? It should be informative for you. It should be like, oh, I would forgotten that what I really want is the time to write that book or, oh, I'd forgotten that you know what I really care about is this Um, and just picture it and allow your mind to take you wherever you want and if it takes you someplace you don't like you know, you just pa- let, let that passing car go and come back to, what would I like? Ask yourself the question, what would I like in my life? Stay in this space for a few minutes and then slowly bring yourself back into your space and see how your day is and write into us and let us know. We love you here on the show. I want to let you know while you're still breathing, tomorrow is a best of episode. Then we have Dr. Doreen on Wednesday. And on Thursday, uh, we're gonna, it's to be determined. Um, and then on Friday, let's talk autism with Shannon and Nancy. Give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.